Okay, this morning we're going to be in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to begin by reading verses 14 down through verse 16. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. I've titled the message for this morning, Shine, Don't Whine. Complaining is something that we all, well, we're all guilty of from time to time. When I think about complaining, if I think about an example from the Bible, I think about Old Testament Israel during the time of their bondage and their deliverance from Egypt. They could be described as being a complaining people, a whining people. For example, they complained because they were in Egypt. And then they complained because they were taken out of Egypt. Remember, they told Moses on more than one occasion, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? Did you bring us out here in the wilderness to kill us? We were much better off even when we were slaves in Egypt. They complained when there was no food. Then they complained when there was too much food. We're tired of eating this same food. We want something different to eat. They complained when there was no water. Then they complained when the water was bitter. They complained about the way that Moses led them. And on and on and on we could go by looking at all the different ways that these people complained to God. But let's make sure that we don't point the finger at these people. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we all do our share of whining. We do our share of complaining. I mean, just think about the day. I think it's safe to say that we Americans today probably live in the most prosperous society uh, that's ever existed. Now, I can't say that for sure, but just looking back through history, I think it would be hard-pressed to find a time or a period when people were more prosperous than we are in this country today. Most of us not only have everything that we need but most of us also have the things that we want that we necessarily don't need. And yet, so many people are not satisfied. People complain. They whine about everything, even though they have so much to be thankful for. Let me ask you, is complaining, this whining, is it something that we should be concerned about? Or do we just simply say, well, everybody does it. Everybody complains, just like most people overeat. And so we just kind of have a tendency to just kind of push that to the side or just, or just kind of laugh it off as if it's not really a big deal. It, it, yeah, it might be a sin, but it's not a, it's not a big sin. It's not a sin like other sins are. And so we just kind of brush it off. I kind of feel, fear that that's kind of the way that we treat complaining. 
you know, we complain. It's just, you know, it's just part of our natural makeup, and that's just who we are, and it's not really a big deal. Well, the truth of the matter is, is every time that you and I complain, every time that Israel complained, their complaining was really against the Lord. Because it was he who was directing their circumstances. And so really, when they complained, they complained against the Lord. When you and I complain, we're complaining about the way that God has ordered our circumstances. And so what it means is, is that complaining is a sin. It's a sin that we should treat seriously. In the book of James, in James chapter 5 and verse 9, James writes, Grudge not one against another, lest you be condemned. Now, another way of translating that would be, do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. So James is talking about complaining. Verse 4 and verses 9 and 10. Use hospitality one to another without grudging or without complaining. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See, God called the nation of Israel to be a light in this world. They were different. They were God's people. And they were to function as a light in a world that was filled with darkness. Well, instead of shining as lights, what they did was they whined and they acted just like the nations around them did. So what I want to do for our time today is focus on verses 14 through 16, where Paul is continuing to talk about what I believe is the doctrine of sanctification. Verses 12 through 13, I believe Paul's talking about sanctification. He talks about how that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but it is God that works in us. And so we see that sanctification is both a work of man and a work of God. We work together so that we can be made in the image of Christ. But keep in mind that God is the inspiration. God is the source behind our sanctification. So if you want to alliterate, you could say that verses 12 and 13, we talked about the inspiration behind our sanctification, the one who inspires us, the one who works, and that's God. Last week, we looked at John chapter 17, verses 17 through 19. And once again, we talked again about sanctification. There in John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus, as he prays to his father, he prays, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And here we focused on the instrument of sanctification. We looked at the inspiration behind sanctification. Now we're looking at the instrument of sanctification. And that's the truth. That's the word of God. So why is it that we focus so much of our time when we gather together for our church services? Why do we spend so much of our time reading and talking about the Bible? Why do we stress the importance of every day spending time in the Bible? Why? What's so important about the Bible? Because it's God's Word. And it's the instrument of our sanctification. If we're going to be sanctified, if we're going to be set apart, if we're going to 
be godly, if we're going to be holy, if we're going to be like Christ, then we have to be sanctified by the Word of God. And so then this morning, I want to look again at the doctrine of sanctification, and we're going to look at the importance of sanctification. And that, I believe, is found in verses 14, 15, and 16. And what we're going to look at this morning is three reasons why it's important that we be sanctified. Now, keep in mind, these are not the only reasons. You could probably come up with more, but these are the three reasons that I see in this particular text. And so the first reason why it's important that we be sanctified, it's because it pleases God. Verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Now, if you go back to verse 13, which we looked at a few weeks ago, talking about sanctification. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do, now notice, of his good pleasure. God works in us because it pleases him to do so. He's working to make us holy, to make us uh, like his son. It pleases him to do this. Even though, keep in mind, we're sinners, we were rebels against him, and yet, in spite of that, God is pleased to work in us. Well, when we then do what verse 12 says, when we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, when we seek to obey the Lord, when we do his will, when we live like Christ, the result is, We please God, which should always be our aim. Everything we do, we should do to please God. So God is pleased to sanctify us. And when we are sanctified, when we work, we keep in mind that pleases God. You notice he says there, do all things, all that God prompts us to do. He does it for a purpose. He does it for a purpose. And also, keep in mind, He gives us the strength to fulfill that purpose. Now, just what is God's purpose anyway? What is it that God is doing? Why is it that God saves us? Just so that we'll escape hell? to make us a part of his family. Those two are benefits, but they're not the primary reason. The main reason why God saves us is found, I believe, in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, a passage that I'm sure we're all very familiar with. Paul writes, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to to his purpose. So he talks about being called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Now here's the purpose, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So I can't stress or emphasize too often what these two verses say to us. Again, why is it that you're saved? 
if you're saved. Why does God save you? Why did God justify you? Well, to make you into the image of His Son. That's what God's doing. That's what He's working in us. That is the work of sanctification to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And so that's His purpose. Now keep in mind, nothing happens by accident. Nothing happens by just luck. You know, a lot of times... And I catch myself doing this sometimes, and, and, I, and, I, and I try to, to, to not do this. But a lot of times when somebody's going to do something, you know, say my grandkids are getting ready to play a, a football game or a soccer game, and I say, good luck in your game. Or if they have a test that's going to say, good luck on your test. Or if they're going to take their driver's license to the test, good luck on your test. If they go in for a job interview, good luck in your interview. I'm saying something that I don't even believe. Because I don't believe there's any such thing as luck. Not when a God who is sovereign, who rules and reigns over all things, there's no such thing as luck. No, there's no accident. God is in sovereign control over all things. So let's make sure that we always keep that in mind. Now, our desire as those who belong to Christ, our desire is to please Him, to please the one who has saved us and the one who is sanctifying us. And we know that Jesus always, always pleased His Father. We know that on two occasions when the Father spoke audibly from heaven in regard to His Son, He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am pleased. No, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus always did what pleased his Father. Well, you and I who are in Christ, you and I who are united to Christ, you and I who are saved, we should be like Christ. And the result is our Father will be well pleased. Now, in order for us then to do this, to please him, there's a couple things that we need to avoid, and he brings it out in verse 14. He says, do all things, notice, without murmurings and disputings, Murmuring, that means grumbling, complaining. We talked about Israel and how they complained. The Pharisees, they, of, they often grumbled and complained about the Lord Jesus Christ. He breaks the Sabbath. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. He doesn't keep the law. We're looking at him. He's eating with prostitutes and tax collectors. So they were always grumbling. They were complaining about what Jesus did. Then he talks about disputings. It means to question, to argue, to where we get our word dialogue. You know, today people are encouraged to, well, to open up dialogue, to converse with each other, to talk, to air out our differences. Now, from a human standpoint, Men relating to other men, there's no problem there. We probably do need to be more like that. We need to have a dialogue. We need to have an open conversation. We need to be able to sit down and air out our differences. But friends, when it comes to our relationship with God, we don't need a dialogue. We don't need to air out our differences. What we need to do is put our hand over our mouth and be quiet. 
Stop questioning God. Because the problem between man and God does not rest with God. The problem is with man. And God has spoken in His Word of what man needs to do. So there's no dialogue that needs to take place. But so often what happens is, is that men, well, they question God's right to rule and to reign and to do the things that He does. Talking about obedience, and that's what we're doing. We're to live in obedience to the Lord that's what it really means to, to be sanctified. Um, there's two different types of obedience. There's a willing, cheerful obedience where we do things because we want to and we do it cheerfully, which is the way we should obey. And then there is a complaining. There's a grumbling obedience where we're doing something, but we really don't want to. I'm reminded of the story of the young boy who kept standing up in the back seat of the car. Mom kept saying, you need to sit down. You need to sit down. And finally she said, if you don't sit down, I'm going to pull over the car over and you're going to be in trouble. And then the boy reluctantly sits down. And mom looks back and says, now that's better. And the little boy looks at his mom and says, hey, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm a standing on the inside. Well, that is the natural man. That is the way people are are not sanctified. You see, God desires that His children obey, that we cheerfully obey and serve Him. We don't question Him. We don't complain. You see, what happens is, is so often we find ourselves in a difficult situation. We find ourselves struggling, hurting, and we begin to question. We question God. We murmur. We complain because of our circumstances. And it's easy for us to do this. Oh, we probably all find ourselves doing that sometime. Just questioning God. Complaining about our circumstances. Why, God? Why are you doing this? Don't you love me anymore? Don't you care? Well, when we find ourselves in that situation, when that happens, what do we need to do? Well, a couple of things real quickly. I think, first of all, we simply need to remind ourselves of who God is. Friends, God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. God never does wrong. God doesn't tempt us to sin. God always does what is right. And so we have no reason to complain because God is just and right in what He does. Whatever comes into our life, God means it for good, not evil. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? I certainly hope that you do. Because if you don't, you're going to find yourself murmuring and complaining all the time. See, our Heavenly Father is not so much concerned about how much money we make, or how big a house we have, or what kind of car we drive, or what kind of clothes we wear, or how well-known we are, or whatever we've accomplished. No, he's mainly concerned with how much we look like his son. You realize that? That's God's main purpose. That's what he's most concerned about. He wants us to look just like His Son. He wants us to be like Him. 
Oh, if we could really, truly understand this, if we would just grasp this, if we would just continually remind ourselves every day that this is what God is doing, this is what God's purpose is, and whatever comes in our life, good or bad, it's for a reason, it's for a purpose to make us like His Son, to sanctify us, then we would stop complaining and please Him. Also, we need to remind ourselves of God's greatness of his sovereign power over all of us, which I just mentioned a minute ago. Let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. How true that is. Verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Kind of puts things in the right perspective, doesn't it? Let's just realize something. I heard a pastor not too long ago say something. At first, kind of, kind of caught me off guard. But then, as I thought about it, I thought it makes good sense. And that is, every day when he starts out the day, and as he's praying and having time with the Lord, he he will pray, Lord, help me to realize I'm not God. Well, you say, of course, he's not God. We're not, none of us are God. But how often do we live like we are? See, we put ourselves above God. We put our ways above his ways. Our will before his will. When we do that, what are we doing? We're saying, I'm God. No. God is the one who's in control. And... He doesn't have to explain to us everything He does. We don't have to understand everything that He does. We know that He has a purpose in it. And He's working for our sanctification. He's working to make us like His Son. And when He does that, and here's the point, why that's important is because it pleases Him. And certainly we want to please Him. Well, look at the other two more quickly. won't spend as much time with them. Number two, our sanctification proves that we are the children of God. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. The idea is is that, well, when we work at our salvation with fear and trembling, when we are, as he says here, that we would be blameless and harmless, when this happens, what this does is it gives us proof that we are the sons of God, that we are the children of God. That we are saved. So he says that when we do this, he says we're going to be blameless. means we're going to be without defect or without blemish. Free from the judgment of others. I think of Daniel as an example of someone who was blameless. Daniel was taken from Jerusalem, brought to Babylon, lived uh, in the palace of an ungodly king. And yet he was blameless. In fact, later in his life when his enemies tried to get rid of him... The only fault they could find with him was the fact that he was fully devoted to serving his God. Friends, Daniel was blameless. And he talks about harmless, being unmixed or pure. Our lives are to be pure. They're not to be mixed with sin. And he talks about uh, without rebuke, same idea, without blemish, without spot. The Old Testament sacrifices all had to be without blemish. Why? Because... They represented Christ. They pictured Christ who himself was without sin, without blemish. 
So we talk about proving that we're the children of God. Who, would we, who do we prove this to? Well, not to God because God already knows. But it, we do it to ourselves. We prove to ourselves that we are the children of God. See, when we're sanctified, we're giving ourselves an assurance and evidence that we are saved, that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. But also others will see this. So he says that we do this in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Crooked, twisted, bent. Old Testament Israel was twisted so often. The city of Philippi, where the church of Philippi was located, was a twisted, corrupt city. And need I even say today that we live in a day and time in a society, a country that is twisted and bent. But as the children of God, those who are being sanctified... We're called to be different, to live not as the children of the world, but to live as the children of God. And so when we're sanctified, that just gives us a proof that we are. We are different. We are the children of God. And then finally, our sanctification provides us an opportunity for us to proclaim Christ. At the end of verse 15, he says that we are to shine as lights in the world. The world dwells in darkness. We need to shine as lights. We are to be, as Jesus said, the light of the world. We're called to dispose the darkness. And to do that, we have to be different. And so if we're going to be sanctified, and remember, that's what we're talking about here, then we're not going to be able to live like the world. We've got to live like Christ. And when we do that, rest assured, the world will take notice. The world's eyes are upon you, Christian. The world is watching you to see how you live. And why it's important, he says in verse 16, because we hold forth the word of life. See, when it comes to us proclaiming Christ to the world, we need to do both of these. We need to live a godly life. We need to live a righteous life which then leads to an opportunity for us to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim Christ. In other words, think of light. Light has two functions. It exposes things. It shows things as they really are. And then it guides. It gives direction. It helps keep us, show us the right path. Well, friends, as we talked about this morning, we need to live a righteous life in order for us then to give guidance to those who are in darkness, to show them their need of Christ, and to show them that He is their only hope of salvation, and they need to put their faith and trust in Him. And I certainly hope that you've done that. That you live a righteous life, and then you're able to guide and direct others to show them their need of Christ. So what we've done this morning as we wrap up is we've looked at why it's important for us to be sanctified. And I've given you three reasons. Because it pleases God, because it proves that we're the children of God, and because it provides an opportunity for us to proclaim Christ. Remember the title for the message, Shine, Don't Whine. So I pray that you know Christ, that you know Him as your Lord and Savior, and that you are now in the process of being sanctified and that you'll be able to do the things that we've talked about
this morning here in this passage.